welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore Jersey Fitz, and I write for EPLindex.com. I'm Dylan Baker. Uh, I'm a Liverpool supporter. Uh, you can find me at World Football Index uh, as well as on Babbel.com. All right, well, thanks so much for joining us, guys. To the listeners that can detect accents at all, we are all American, so we're going to get to Bob Bradley stuff later uh, with him taking over at Swansea. But first, we will, of course, do Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. Dan, we'll start with you. Lots of controversy around the winning goal, but a win nonetheless. I would like to apologize to every Burnley supporter ever mm. because that was so bad. That was so. That was what, the worst offside goal and handball? Ever. You think? Offside handball off a short quarter from a flick on from Theo Walcott. Technically, after the 92nd minute, I think it still should have been taken time wise, but it was, it was just an amazingness of badness. <laughs> And if it you want to know whether or not Laurent Koscielny knew that he did something wrong, just watch his post-match interview. I still haven't actually. I don't need to see that. Um, <laughs> it, it was amazing. Oh, that game was so great. It wasn't actually. We were terrible, but it was. It was so an awful funny watch for the neutral. It was an awful watch for the non-neutral. For the, uh, <laughs> basically, well, I was just sitting watching my team. Like everything we do has just not come off. Our two best chances are probably. That Sanchez volley that I forget how it came about that it got so high up in the sky, but it came down from like 20 yards up and he just happens to be Alexis Sanchez and nearly hit it in. Uh, and then one other shot by Alexis that was because Theo Walcott and Bayerine messed up a one two. Um, it was really bad the whole game. We looked sluggish, we looked tired. Um, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Perez apparently had a small knee injury, which prevented us from playing him to rotate. Uh, Giroud's been dealing with a toe injury for a while, so he's out. Um, Ramsey's still not back. Who else? Oxley Chamberlain was bad, so he didn't rotate in. And yeah, it was so we had to play the same eleven as we played for um, the other two games this week, and it showed. It really showed. Uh, after playing some of our best football in arguably years against Basel, we were terrible against Burnley. Absolutely terrible. We stole those extra two points, and I apologize to Burnley for it. Mm. Yeah, Wenger passed a huge milestone in this one. Did that make the win any sweeter, or what other like club events went around such a such a big moment? Uh, it definitely made it sweeter. Oh, I just I was very happy to win that game. I really wanted that win, <laughs> even if it was not exactly typical Wenger fashion. Um, yeah, uh, I think he got a very nice crystal vase to put you know the tears of his haters in, um, and. <laughs> Did he, did he break, get matches to burn all the Wenger out banners, which apparently was about ready to be displayed at that match, but oh my God. was not then because, you know, you ended up winning. But apparently they were already unfurling it. Christ, I haven't seen that. Um, actually, one thing. It seemed like the way section was still pretty full, but do you guys hear about the uh, how the train, that bunch of trains didn't make it up from London because of cows? No. <laughs> apparently cows... Some cows were either hit or were blocking the line. I'm not sure. Um, and so they had to turn a lot of trains from London back around, and a bunch of VOA fans didn't make it to the game because the cows. Huh. Well, I'm sure they weren't disappointed to miss the. So I was I was hoping it would keep the finger out people. Uh, 
Oh, being able away. to make it all the way. But, uh, yeah, but they were they were they were the ones behind the cows. Unfortunately, they probably were actually. <laughs> it was a cow conspiracy. Actually, they're they're the ones that <laughs> kept the cows from uh, preventing the the pro Vengo Brigade to make it all yes. the way up to the stadium. But there was but, one, there was one nice banner that was uh, unfurled at the beginning of the game, so that mm. was cool. Uh, but yeah, uh, I there were a bunch of documentaries on Vengo's twenty years. Outside of that, I'm trying to think if he got anything else. He probably did, and I probably missed, and I probably didn't see it. I know apparently he gave um, journalists a nice pen or a nice pen to only write good things about Arsenal with. <laughs> um, outside of that, I don't think I've seen stuff other than like a billion documentaries. Yeah. All right. Well, fair enough. Coming to you now, Dylan. Uh, Liverpool uh, comeback win. Against Swansea, you end up sacking their manager. Another thing we're going to talk about a little bit later. But what was your view on this performance? Well, to be honest, I think I think my biggest thing, and, and what will what will spread across a lot of Liverpool fans, is that over the course of the past probably half decade, that's a game that that Liverpool lose. And I, I think I think the way that Klopp has come in in this this current season and the work that he's put in over the summer has allowed the I guess what you would say the the growth of a mentality uh, to 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 basically fight your way out of a out of a uh, excuse me to basically fight your way out of a deficit and and that's massive for Liverpool fans you know it, it's we basically went in with an unchanged lineup and you you can't be upset about that because the the lineup that we go out with the starting eleven is one that has put in a lot of good performances here recently. Uh, we lose Adam Lallana very early to a to a groin strain, um, and Daniel Sturridge comes in. While Daniel Sturridge has been very effective in the squad, he hasn't necessarily been effective in the goal scoring department yet this season. And and especially being one nil down already at that point, it it causes some worry. But ultimately, the what you saw out of Liverpool going down. Uh, one nil all the way through halftime and then fighting their way back out of it. Those are the kinds of wins that get you into the top four. Those are the kinds of wins that win you a Premier League, Premier League title. Now, I'm not going to come on this show and be the Liverpool fan that says, we're going to win the league because I don't necessarily think that that's quite on. But... That's Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> but and if very... we're going that route, I would have to fight you because we got the ultimate scrappy win. Fair enough. You, you, Fair got, enough. you got the uh, media cliched, uh, good win after a bad performance. Mm-hmm. No, that's uh, it, it, we were we were upstaged by Arsenal's performance on on Sunday. <laughs> we were the we were the gritty. How the heck did that happen? Win and then Arsenal had to go and do that and steal our limelight. But you know, <laughs> you can have it next time. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think overall you have to be as a Liverpool fan. You have to be satisfied not only with with the team that's going out there and performing right now, but in in, in the context of what Swansea was. You know, our, our biggest problem has been for a long, long time our, our back line. And while we've seen massive improvement, the goal that Swansea scored, another set piece that we have a problem defending, uh, you know, it's, it's a classical uh, sort of Liverpool concession, especially early in the match where everybody's got a lot more energy. So to fight their way back out of that with the squad that we had access to, losing Adam Lallana in the process, you have to be happy with it. Fair enough, and uh, we did, <laughs> well, we have seen Milner at left back. Now he's taken three penalties in the last two games. Is mm. Moreno basically frozen out at this point? 
Well, I think the big thing that changes with Jurgen Klopp is that so long as the players that go out onto the pitch in the first 11 continue performing well, you're seeing a lot of folks that are frozen out of this first team. Uh, if, if, we're going to, if we're going to use that term specifically, you're, you're not only looking at Alberto Moreno at left back, you're also looking at probably our best defensive style midfielder in Emre Chan, who hasn't worked his way back into the side, has nothing to do with the injury. Uh, you're looking at Mamadou Sako, which obviously with all of his off-field issues is not a surprise, but the fact that Lovren and Matip as a pairing are performing well isn't helping his case getting back in the team. Daniel Sturridge has come in on occasion. This season even started a couple of matches, but the, the primary front three that Jurgen Klopp favors at the moment is Coutinho, Firmino, and Sadio Mane with Adam Lallana bursting forward from the midfield. So you, you have to say we've got some really, really good players on the bench. And the way that Klopp is managing this team is one that will – in it, basically it's going to garner competition. And that's really what a side should be, especially whenever you have a squad that's deep enough to, to have players that are good enough to get onto that pitch. And wh while this first 11 starts – you know, continues to perform well, then those big players are going to remain on the bench. Big players doesn't necessarily encompass Alberto Moreno, who, who this question is, is specifically uh, wrapped around, but – but yes, so long as Milner continues to be solid defensively and is able to get forward, and whether it's via a penalty or creating a chance uh, by putting in a cross, whatever the case may be, Alberto Moreno is going to have a little bit of—he's going to have a tough time this season getting into getting into this side. And until he can sort out his issues defensively, I think we're going to continue to see Milner at left back going forward. Yeah. All right. Uh, for Tottenham, it was a very good weekend, uh, beating league leaders Manchester City. Uh, <laughs> I, among many questioned the 11 and the tactics before the match, thought it was probably too attacking, and no Jansen was obviously a surprise. But uh, as it turns out, Mauricio Pochettino knows more about Tottenham Hotspur's squad than I do, uh, <laughs> which was a harsh Wait, reality for me. I know, I know. It was hard for me to come to terms with as well. Uh, our defense was obviously resolute, uh, as it has been. It was already the league best coming into this match. I think to many surprise, we are still the league best after uh, keeping a clean sheet against what was the best attack in the Premier League. Uh, the Belgian boys, quote-unquote, combined for 24 clearances, uh, and we have still yet to concede a goal from open play, uh, as well as also conceding the fewest goals total, which is unsurprising. The attack was a lot more dynamic with Sun, quote-unquote, up front, uh, which, again, we'll, we'll discuss as the topic, but uh, Della Ali showed up for pretty much the first time this season, uh, and I've seen a lot of apologists after this match uh, Mentioning about how Manchester City were without Kevin De Bruyne, so, you know, you can forgive their performance. <laughs> we were without Harry Kane, golden boot winner Harry Kane, and Moussa Dembele from last season. For those that forget, I used to bring up this stat every week. All Tottenham's losses last season came without Moussa Dembele in the midfield. All of them. Six out of six were without Moussa Dembele. This season, uh, Tottenham have four wins and two draws without him, which is also six matches. Uh, so obviously being able to adapt to that a whole lot better uh, has led to a lot of our success. I still think that potentially long-term Della Ali may just actually be a box-to-box -box midfielder unless the creative player we've asked him to be. I think that uh, defenses, and we've seen it thus far, I just mentioned that this was probably his best performance this season. Teams are starting to figure him out a little bit more. Last season he was just this wild card that was thrown into the league where very few people knew how to deal with him or where he was going to be. Uh, I think that long-term, maybe creating from a little bit deeper, maybe his, his full-time role, especially with the breakout of Youngman Son, who you can't leave out of the team at the moment. So maybe his spot is back there next to Wanyama, who was imperious. 
um, and will easily be my player that impressed this week. He, he was just everywhere. If if he could hold off on giving away a yellow card about every match, there might not be a flaw in his game, or, or at least the role that he plays. Um, I think a lot of people assumed that Eric Dyer would win this job back, and while Eric Dyer is more well-rounded, he has a better pass on him, he actually has a very good cross on him, which is surprising for a center-back turned defensive midfielder, um, Wanyama is better at literally that one role on the pitch, which is just disrupting everything around him. And last season, we talked a lot about Pochettino playing a 4-2-3-1, but how it might secretly really be more of a 4-3-3 with Dyer being the, the defensive midfielder, obviously dropping back into a back three with the center backs when we're in attack. Um, Wanyama is better at just that part of it, and, and he's so good. Uh, in that role and as long as as long as he just passes it to the nearest midfielder I'm a-okay with it uh and mm. and he did that well in this one uh and just broke up play all over the pitch and and really caused what we came into the match thinking was a very strong Manchester City midfield which is not something you're used to saying coming up a very pacey Tottenham uh team which we haven't said since Bale left um but the fact that Wanyama was up against Fernandinho and Fernando uh as well as holding up uh, David Silva, I think, was a very, very impressive performance from him. Um, back to this match, it was easily our best performance of the season, and and definitely the only one where we played well for all 90 minutes. We've had a lot of good first halves, a lot of good second halves, not in the same match. Uh, but seeing where we are now, second place, one point off top, heading into the international break with a win, by the way, which it felt like we've never done, um, is obviously a, a terrific thing for us. Uh, Pochettino was asked in the post-match presser if he wished that we had a match this weekend with all this momentum, and he was just saying, no, it's good that we have the rest, because with this Harry Kane advanced timetable, which we still don't know what it was originally based on, but now it's better than that thing that we didn't know, um, there's a potential possibility that Kane and Dembele may be available by the time we get back to Premier League action, which would obviously be a huge boost for us, although we've shown... We do have more depth than we had last season. It was the point of Musa Sissoko. And while I still disagree with the transfer, he has done that thing he was supposed to do, which is help us continue to tick without Musa Dembele and the team. I know that he's primarily been playing out on the wing, but his physical presence, his ability to hold onto the ball and run past people with the ball, as opposed to players like Son that pretty much need it further up the pitch, has helped us a lot. Not $30 million a lot, but... Uh, the point of getting somebody in that can fill that physical role that Dembele used uh, has has worked to an extent. All right, now we're going to head into the topic that we've already seen like three times. Um, and it is representative of the three fans we have on the show today. With Dan, of course, we have Alexis. With Dylan, we have Firmino. With me, we have Sun Hyung Min. I apologize, I just got it backwards before and I've been told that it's not right doing it the HMS way. Uh, and not SMH, that's a completely different thing, but Sun Young Men. Uh, but anyway, these three wingers, quote-unquote, uh, have been playing as forwards recently, and to great effect. In fact, uh, out of our three teams, the 11 times that this has happened, the record is eight wins, one draw, two losses. So mm-hmm. not only have we all seen us score a lot of goals, all three of us being in the top five of goals scored, making us the best attacks in the Premier League, it's been devastatingly effective, both at goal scored and in results. So I want to ask you guys, why do you think this is so effective and why is it the best way for your team to deploy, at least at the moment? Um, well, for us, I'm not even sure if this is planned, to be honest. I'm not sure if it was just planned or necessity. Like I said, um, Olivier Giroud got to the final of Euro, 2012, of Euro 2012, 2016, 
And um, so he had to come back late. Danny Welbeck is, I said he was dead all last year. I think he's actually dead this time. Um, and we didn't buy a striker till uh, it would have been, I think it was the day before the transfer window closed. So we didn't really have a striker outside of Theo Walcott, who has now said he doesn't want to play striker anymore. So Wenger just started playing Alexis up top. He did say when we bought Alexis that he could play there, and we tried it out when we first bought him and it didn't really work. But now, so far, he wasn't particularly convincing in the first two or three performances there, I think. But ever since a couple weeks ago, he's just it's clicked. It's clicked, and it's worked really well. I think a big thing is he has to do it with Theo Walcott because one of the games didn't work. We had a Wobie and Oxford chamberlain wide. So then when Alexis would go be, he's kind of like a false nine, he'd go float somewhere else. No one would fill the space because both of them stay wide. Now with Theo Walcott, you have someone who will absolutely fill the space because he's he's just confused about whether he wants to be a winger or a striker. <laughs> uh, they have it's it's worked really well in the last couple weeks. Um, it's a lot of movement. I think similarly with Liverpool and us, we have interchangeable front fours where all four of our players, Ozil, Awobi, um, a Walcott, and Alexis, all have at least some experience playing up top. Less so with Ozil, but even then, you could argue he could play a false nine if he really needed to. Awobi has been going between winger and striker in the academy. Alexis plays second striker, but still striker for Chile. We know the Theo Walcott thing. Uh, for Liverpool, Firmino is a weird player. We'll get to that with Dylan. Uh, Coutinho could, has played central most of his career, not striker, but again, similar for Ozil. Uh, Mane, like we were saying before Pod, isn't really a winger. He's an inside forward at the widest. And um, who's the other one? Lalana's just, he's not really a striker, but I'm going to lump him in. He can't really play striker. I'm going to lump him in anyway. Uh, but they can all interchange positions, and it's extremely difficult for defenses to track, especially when you have players as dynamic as, dynamic as in our case, Theo Walcott, Alexis Sanchez, and Mesodozil. And it's just, defenses haven't been able to handle it recently. Since we've got it going, it's been working really, really well. I'm hoping it can continue, because I was pretty skeptical of Alexis up top, but it's been our best option by far so far. Yeah, Dylan, is that kind of your view as well? You mentioned Mane there, who is obviously now at Liverpool and performing better than I personally had expected. Yeah, no, actually, I think to to, to build off of what he's saying here specifically about uh, you know these players who prefer even from wide positions to operate centrally, uh, even if it even if it's something as simple as just cutting inside. I think that's the big thing with Firmino, where we've seen in in previous uh, when he played in the Bundesliga, uh, where we saw him perform at a high enough level to get him noticed by 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 teams of high caliber uh, before his, ultimately his transfer to Liverpool. Um, he played directly behind, like, almost as a secondary striker rather than an advanced playmaker kind of midfielder, uh, behind Kevin Volland, and it worked to great effect. And the main reason that, that Firmino works out in this team is not only because he has the ability to get in behind, he has just enough pace uh, to get in behind uh, many of the central defenders, but more importantly, he brings a lot of his secondary striker role uh whenever he's playing primary striker. And I think that's one of the biggest things that's that's working across the board for the three players that we're ultimately talking about is that it's it's not that you're taking a guy who doesn't play striker and making him play striker. It's you're taking a guy who has his way of playing, which is dropping deeper, deeper to receive the ball, to link the midfield into the attack, and then ultimately pushing forward, whether he gets in behind or he stops short to receive the ball to feet and play the ball uh, you know, to the likes of Asadio Mane and Adam Lallana, Philip Coutinho, 
then you're, you're, you're taking what he's good at and you're encompassing what a number nine does in a side that's going out onto the pitch to play 90 minutes. And, and, and you're utilizing that into a different system. The biggest thing is, is that with Klopp, that's what he likes his number nines to do. It, when Firmino pre- played under previous management, uh, he was originally purchased, of course, by Brendan Rodgers in the 2015-16 season. When he played in the attack, if he played as a forward, he played less as an less as a that sort of drop back and received the ball, and more of you know let's try and get this guy to replicate what Sturridge and Suarez did a couple of years ago when he was played out on the wing. He was wanted to you know he he was desirable uh, under that management for him to play as a winger. You stay wide, you stay close to the touchline, and you play a good ball in. And that's not what Firmino does. And I think not only with in the context of what Firmino's doing here, but I think not only what Dan has said about Alexis Sanchez, but also what you're probably going to say about Sung Hyung Min is that they're playing the number nine role how they're supposed how, how they're comfortable playing and ultimately where they're best playing. And that's what's allowing them to put in the best performances in what we would consider a number nine. They're not strikers. They're playing as strikers. But their their actual game, if you watch them play, it's not like they're out there playing like a like a Charlie Austin or like a Sadio Berahino or uh, you know a, a lot of these a lot of these big name strikers that are out there. It's not like they're out there trying to replicate what Benzema does for Real Madrid or Suarez for Barcelona. They're out there playing their game as a striker, and it's working out to a positive effect. Yeah, I'd agree there. Uh, I think uh, a great analogy for this, the Americans show, to borrow from uh, everything Fox Soccer ever does. Um, ever. <laughs> Literally ever. For every time. Um, is uh, when, and I don't want to brag here, but Dick LeBeau invented the muddle huddle, uh, mm. which was a strategy on the defensive line where you would never know where the blitz was going to come from because you didn't every player is just standing up there's nobody with a hand on the ground so you don't know where it's coming from it feels like that was what our performance was like yesterday with sun up front was that manchester city were not prepared with a less than refined john stones and out of confidence nicolas otamendi fernando who hasn't been the the player he was previously uh i will give credit to fernandinho who, who i do think is a vastly underrated player in the premier league but Having Son and Erickson and Lamella and Ali and, and um, Sissoko all interchanging, just off-settled, uh, off-put, unsettled. Yeah, both of those words. <laughs> the, the opposing defense. And they really didn't know how to address it. So like you were saying, Dylan, Son isn't trying to go out there and be Harry Kane. He's not even going out there and trying to be Vincent Janssen, who might actually be the strongest human on this earth. Um, but Sun's ability to just run everywhere, and I, I think this is really highlighted by what Firmino's done, is Firmino's statistics have been dreadful since he turned into a forward. But what he's doing is he's occupying center backs instead of wing backs, and he's occupying them out into wide positions, which is just leaving so much space in the middle of the pitch, which is allowing Coutinho to do the things he's doing, and Mane and, and uh, Lavana to somewhat of a lesser extent, although three goals and three assists in a young season is a very good feat for him. Um, and so being able to, to unsettle a defense like that is so valuable. And I think we're going to see this more and more. Now, not to, to uh, only talk about the teams that have done it well. I know uh, I spoke with Gitto earlier today, um, and he was mentioning that they tried this last year with Andre Ayew, where they use him as a quote-unquote forward, and that's what kind of gave West Ham the idea that they could use him as a quote-unquote forward uh, before he got injured. So 
I, I do think this is a developing trend. I already mentioned the, the goals scored and, and the results with this formation. You know, inevitably with tactics, there will be a reaction to it. People will try to find a, a way to, to block it out. And as much as people hate it, it might be zonal marking instead of just waiting for whoever to come at you from whatever angle. Like with Pochettino's set 4-2-3-1, you know Harry Kane is going to be running straight at you. Your challenge is to stop it. And either you do or you don't. But with this kind of a formation, this kind of a tactic, it's much more dynamic. And so I think if maybe you were in a zone, maybe you'd be following players around less. Like I mentioned with Firmino specifically, that's just terrorizing center backs. If they're told to not leave this area, maybe that would be the counter to this. I know a lot of people hate zonal marking. And I I heard a really interesting point about zonal marking recently. I don't want to get into this whole aside thing. But his point was that in man-on-man marking... If you lose your aerial duel, say, on a cross, that player is to blame. This guy messed up. But if you concede with zonal marking, everybody blames the system, which is not a one-to-one correlation. So anyway... Mm. Oh, yeah, just, it's completely ridiculous. For yeah. blaming for, it's insane. Right. So I, I'm just saying, ridiculous. like, me saying that maybe zonal marking is the fix, I think a lot of people have this weird negative perception of it because anytime there's a flaw with a player, the whole thing is blamed instead of it being the player and the player. <laughs> we'll get into that at a later date. Uh, Dylan, was there something you wanted to hop back in on? Yeah, not only did I want to, to, to say that, yeah, again, you bring, you bring up a really interesting point in, in the sense that uh, in talking about the fluidity um, of, of these attacking units that we have, you know, I know, uh, I know Dan and Arsenal, they, they, their trademark is fluidity, but it's, it's not necessarily been something that Tottenham and Liverpool have been able to tout highly in terms of what mm. they have, uh, you know, in their back pocket to use against some of these sides. But I think that's, I, I think it not, it's, it's a really good point because what, how Tottenham and Liverpool are beating teams right now and ultimately where Arsenal have found a lot of their success is that in, in, in many cases, you don't necessarily know which player is going to be where at any given point in time. You may have, uh, NBC Sports or Sky Sports or BT uh, or BN put up a screen at the beginning of the match that shows that Alexis Sanchez is in the number nine position uh, and Awobi is going to be playing uh, on the left while Ozil's on you know right there in the center with Walcott on the right. But you don't necessarily know where those guys are going to be at any given stage of the match, and you can interchange a lot of those players, and you know you can bring Giroud into the side, you can bring Ramsey into the side. And it, it doesn't make a difference. You don't know where they're going to be at any given point in time. And I think Tottenham and Liverpool, coupled with their increases, their great increases uh, in in the, the in the amount of pressing and sprinting that they do in these matches, they've also added this attacking fluidity. And that's where I think that uh, a Sun Hyung Min and a Roberto Firmino are really able to thrive, is they can line up in that spot, but that's not necessarily what they're going to do. On the flip side, uh, you know, what I wanted to bring uh, to you guys is do wingers even uh, – I, I guess the best way to put it is is that are, are, are wingers even uh, – do they even perform really in the Premier League? And when we, when we say wingers, I mean we're talking old school football. You got a guy who sticks to the touchline and he puts in a cross and it gets to – you know, it gets to a center forward's head or it gets to – uh, an overlapping midfielder's head. You know, there are a lot of guys that put in these crosses um, that are that, to, to great effect, but I think in many cases you'll almost find them more in the fullback or the wingback position than you will as a winger uh, outright. So uh, what I guess I have for you guys is is that, you know, other than we'll say potentially Everton, whether you have Delafeu, uh, 
Uh, they once had Stephen Naismith that would find his way out on the wing uh, and these sorts of things. Is the winger slowly dying in English football? At least among top teams, I don't think it's particularly slow. Um, mm. Yeah, it's out-and-out wingers for a top eight, ten team is just restricting yourself to be honest. Um, yeah, no, I don't think it's a big thing anymore. At least it, it shouldn't be. It opens yourself up to the counterattack. Yeah. Very, very, right. very clearly, yeah. Um, I will say, uh, Crystal Palace right now have three of the top 15 players in crosses because they're playing Townsend on the left where he's an actual winger instead of mm. trying to play inverted. They have Wilfred Zaha, and Jason Punchin drifts out into those spaces a lot as well. Um, Willian currently I mean, I top works in the league. It does, and that's why it yeah, didn't work at yeah. Liverpool, and that's why it was always going to work at Crystal Palace. I, I saw some people, Dylan, and I'm sure you won't be surprised because you have Twitter of Liverpool fans saying that you should get Benteke, where they were like, "Oh, maybe we shouldn't have let him go," and we had it this week with Chadley. And you're like, "No, <laughs> move on." No, sometimes I, I, what, I, yeah, it's elsewhere. what I can proudly say is that I appeared on a face-off podcast on Anfield Index prior to the purchase of Benteke about whether or not he would work and everything that Liverpool fans ended up bitching about, I talked about on the podcast. So, year-old, predictive, <laughs> hashtag yeah. ITK. Yeah, also, he did have nine goals last year, which I think a lot of yeah, people don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, production-wise, <clears throat> Benteke wasn't a flop. He had the same goals per 90 minutes ratio, non-penalty goals per 90 minutes, as he did at Villa. It was like point four. Five yeah. or something, but it was never going to work stylistically. It was the same no. thing. The only right. problem was he was a stylistic nightmare train wreck. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I think to be completely honest, if if he were to be used, then there are so many different cogs and pieces that would have to be, uh, you know, brought into the side in order to allow that to work. I'm not going to talk about this anymore because I'm really bad about derailing stuff, and I'm going to try <laughs> really hard not to. Fair enough. Um, but to finish your point on, on top teams not really crossing the ball, I would tend to agree. It seems like every team has one or two, like West Ham have Pyatt, City have De Bruyne, uh, Liverpool have Milner, for whatever, <laughs> for whatever reason. One of those things is not like the others. I was um, about to say. <laughs> pick, pick the oddball. Well, the problem is I'm looking at crossing statistics, uh, not FIFA ratings. <laughs> but, um, anyway, uh, yeah, no, it does seem like it, it's definitely trending downwards because – so many teams are using the high press now that if you are whipping in balls, like I said, uh, as soon as I jumped in on this, you're exposed yourself defensively. Because if that takes a bounce the wrong way, a defender gets his foot on it quickly and can launch the ball, all of a sudden, you, you know, you're going to be in negative situations defensively. Leicester are the team from last year that were the biggest team that were doing it all the time with Albrighton and Mares. They sent in just ungodly amounts of crosses. Um, and funnily enough, I think they'll have more success doing it this year because Slomani is significantly better with his head mm. uh, than Vardy ever was. Also, and, uh, and Ahmed Musa has a good jump in him as well. He does, although he looks like he's terrified of the goal for whatever reason. <laughs> um, this is—I know you just scary. said you were going to try to avoid tangents, but here's one for you. I, I said this on a radio show before the season started that by the end of the year, Vardy wouldn't be the starting striker for Leicester. He continues to be the one that's taken off first before Slomani. Was this what I know we did this with Harry Kane last year and then we just didn't wait long enough and then he won the golden boot. But I do not think that what Vardy did last season is sustainable. Just in a quick yes or no, do you think that Vardy will have the most goals for Leicester this season, Dylan? Do it does it have to be quick? Yeah, it's a yes no. or no. <laughs> okay. Dan? Uh I'm gonna What Vardy did last season has no reason to not be sustainable because but because they bought another strikers, maybe he won't, so no. 
Interesting. That was not one word, but <laughs> that's a really interesting point, and you're wrong. Well, he, we'll his talk last, about his, his numbers last year were perfectly sustainable, but due to the fact that no, yeah, his expected goals numbers were fantastic, were very ah, good. You and expected goals. We'll, yeah. we'll get into that on a different show. Dan and I will come back for the Jamie Vardy debate part two. Hopefully, <laughs> pretty, sometime with pretty with, please invite me, <laughs> right? And one time with a uh, Jim Knight on, so he can shed his luster light on. He was converting at around fifty percent, which isn't insane, but the amount of chances they were creating per minute they had the ball was obviously ridiculous. Well, I yeah, do, I do admit that it was because of play shot style. Were sustainable, Correct. So whether yeah. Leicester is sustainable, they which were. Yes, argues closer. To I that. do agree with that. Yeah, but the, their play style of not ever having possession and the the rate at which they were scoring and creating chances based no, yeah, on they're, per they're minute possession crazy hot last right, year for was insane. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I'm glad that we kind of resolved that, but we will talk about it We'll save this for another podcast, but we're (laughs) going to sell this right now. Right, exactly. (laughs) Um, Okay, does anybody have any final thoughts on this wingers, although you were just saying Firmino isn't actually a winger as forwards, or should we move on? The the last question, and this can be relatively quick, is Mm. because we've all basically decided that if you're going to finish in the top eight on a consistent basis, that out and out, uh, you know, all wide player wingers aren't necessarily the most sustainable model uh, to include into a side. What does this mean for uh, highly rated players like uh, Romelu Lukaku, where a lot of his a lot of his performances come off of his ability to play the target man role? Yes, he can drop deeper. Yes, he's got a little bit of uh, of pace to him, but mm-hmm. a lot of how how he's performed is his ability to receive across and turn whatever that is, whether it's via his head or bringing it down via his chest into a goal. What does that mean for players like him? Does he find a place in a top tier side in the Premier League, or does he have to go abroad? I'm well, sorry. he's definitely he's definitely fine where he is because we saw Delafeu try to do this exact thing that we've been talking about this mm. whole episode and was dreadful at it. Um, so he, he definitely has job security at Everton, and I do think Everton are legit, but that's also another podcast. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I think there'll always be a place for it, just like with Benteke. It didn't work out at Liverpool. All of a sudden, a smaller club that whipped in the most crosses in the Premier League last season is like. Give us one of those, and there will always be teams like that. There will always be English managers that want to play an older-style football, and that obviously includes crossing, although a lot of them aren't going 4-4-2 traditional, but a lot of them are still trying to employ some traditional wingers and some crossing. And you mentioned Lukaku can't has, has adapted somewhat in his, uh, I was about to say, older age. He's still like 23. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, his passing rates are awful. Romelu Lukaku cannot pass the ball, which is one of the reasons Tottenham did not look at him uh, initially. And everyone, the Tottenham fans were like, how do you not want Lukaku? Look at his goal rate. This was when he was at West Brom. Um, But his passing statistics are not very good. He does not involve himself in the play nearly enough, which is one of the reasons why I think Everton struggle a bit is because Barkley, for being their main creator, quote unquote, also is often uninvolved in play. Yeah, and, and having two of them... Not that capable of doing the thing you expect from them is obviously difficult. Lukaku will still score loads of goals. Teams will always pay for people that score goals. But I do agree with you that that um, maybe this isn't a dying breed. Maybe the ones that already exist will keep doing it. But maybe we'll see more players with that physical profile going forward ending up as center backs instead of center forwards. Um, but the topic that I did want to get on with the Americans. God, I hate that so much. Boom! <laughs> is, Terrible. It's so bad. Is uh, we just did a club update with Gitto that will be posted before this, so they've already gotten the Swansea take. They've already gotten my take in it, so you guys know. I very unflatteringly said that I thought he was a Sher- Tim Sherwood with less ego, meaning that he's a great man manager, not as great tactically. Although I did follow it up by saying he has very simple instructions defensively, 
and can get the defense to perform better. And the way he gets everybody to, to uh, up their level the second he walks in the door is exactly the profile that you have of player uh, of managers like Redknapp and Pulis and Allardyce who have come into teams struggling down the bottom of the table before. Now that I told you I'd already talked about it and then talked about it again, again, I'd be interested to get your guys' take on the appointment of Bob Bradley, former U.S. men's national team manager at Swansea. I mean, it could have been gigs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'd he'll he'll be fine. I think I think they'll be fine. Um, it could have been a lot worse. It could have been Ryan Giggs. Um, it could have been a lot better. It could have been Marcelino, who allegedly yeah, didn't hire because of language that. differences. Yeah, that that should that probably should have happened. Yeah. But eh, I think they'll be all right. Uh, I think he's. He did. He's done a pretty good job. Well, I haven't watched the teams because I don't watch League Duh or the. Was it Norway that he was in? Mm. One mm-hmm. of those countries. That's bad. Uh, whatever country he was in in Scandinavia, I don't watch that league. But apparently, he did quite a good job. Um, he did well in Scandinavia, and then he went to Le Havre. He was a goal outside of per- taking him back up to League One last season. He's done pretty well since he came since he was off the. Uh, U.S. men's national team. I think he'll be fine. Nothing special, but I think. You think he keeps if, him up? I think if they go down, it's not his fault. It's the lack of recruitment. Yeah, well, we had a whole rant about that. Yeah. Trust you me. Also, uh, for people listening to this, um, Scott, who used to come on the show all the time to talk Swansea, is making a rare appearance on the Jackcast tonight. So if you want to get the Swansea view on that, be sure to check that out. We will be tweeting it out from our thing. Mm. Not pleased would be my assessment. Uh, yeah. From their point of view, uh, Dylan, how do you think this will work out at Swansea? Well, it's it's going to be a bit of an interesting one for sure. I mean, what he did in what he did in Norway was he took he took a side that was in the midst of a relegation battle. I believe it's pronounced Slabek, Um and they brought them from the relegation battle all the way up to I believe it was winning the league, if I remember correctly. Um, and then, of course, he was recruited and went to Leav, uh, and as Dan, uh, you know, astutely pointed out, got them within a goal of of getting them back into Ligue 1. It's the big thing with Bob Bradley is what we saw out of him in the U.S. Men's National Team is that he has he has a he, he as you guys said he's he's a great man manager tactically. I feel like what we saw out of him in the US was less than desired. I feel like you can't you can't go to any club league and not have at least a decent sense of tactical uh you, you can't have no tactical now and do what he's done. And of course these are in lower leagues, but the the biggest thing with Swansea is that they need a little bit of direction. What you what you've seen out of Swansea so far in the Premier League, uh while all of these other sides have you know have had this this market improvement whether we're talking about Watford keeping up their form from last season um or you know Middlesbrough and Burnley who have gone out and they've come out with a tactical game plan that's worked out relatively well for them what Bob Bradley does is he's he's very very good at not only not only getting these players up for the occasion but he's also good at setting up a defense which is uh something he's developed by by playing or excuse me by managing club football thus far It'll be interesting to see what he can do with the attack at Swansea, which they still have some decent players in there, whether you're talking about Wayne Routledge uh, out on the wings, whether you're talking about Keeson Young. Uh, was a big deal. Yeah, Bowskip Baston should be very good. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Wait, am I supposed to be saying Borja? 
I have no idea. I think that's only if he's Eastern European and he's not. (laughs) (laughs) But um, at any rate, he he does have Borja, which is which is a great signing. You know, he's got some players that can go forward. If he can go and sort out this defense, then what we saw from Swansea against Chelsea is the exact thing that needs to happen week in and week out. You're basically playing Leicester City ball from last season. You go, you have a few counterattacks in the, over the course of a match. You go and hit some goals. And if you have your defense set up right with the right pieces in place, then you can get away either with a point or with three points if, uh, you know, if you really cause some problem for the opposition attack. And that's what Bob Bradley has developed uh, over the course of his club tenures at uh, Slavic and, and, and Leav is that, he, he's learned how to set up a defense. We didn't see that with the U.S. men's national team, and ultimately that's causing a lot of worry. But you, you can go run his stats. I don't have the numbers on me right now. He did very, very well, not only in goals conceded, but also in chances created uh, when when defending against those two particular statistics. When these teams were coming at them, they weren't finding anywhere near as much um, they weren't finding as nearly as much uh, as, as what they would uh, desire against these two different sides. So I think he's going to come into the Swansea team. I don't think it's going to be, you know, all, it's not going to be at the end of the season where there's going to be parades uh, and statues erected in his name. But I believe he's going to keep Swansea in the Premier League. Now, whether that means 17th by a, by a nose or whether that means climbing to the reaches of a, you know, a 12th, a 14th, an 11th, I, I, you know, there's no way of saying. But I think he's actually going to be good for this side. The problem that worries me, and it'll be interesting to see what you guys think about this, is that. There are a lot of Swansea fans and Premier League fans who are talking about American owners giving an American manager a chance because he's American. And I, I don't know about you guys, I really don't feel that that's the case. It just, doesn't, it just doesn't have that right feel about it. It's not like this guy walked in, they didn't interview anybody else, and they gave him the job. They interviewed some high-profile managers, and they walked out of that conference room and stated that Bob Bradley was the best man for the job. Now, they can have whatever reasons that they have uh, at the current time, and we'll, it, it will remain to be seen whether or not that will, pro- you know, that will provide any fruit for the matter uh, uh, for a struggling Swansea. But you know, if he can walk into a room after Marcelino and, and, and walk out and be the front-running candidate ultimately getting the job, then he must have done something right. I was actually, I put in the chat, I need to say one more thing, but that's exactly what I was, exactly was going to say. Um, yeah, I think this will go fine. If it doesn't go fine, it is a real bad look for ownership. Real, real mm. bad look. Because, mm. like you said, the natural thing is Bob Bradley, as well as I do think he has done a good job at La Havre and the MVM Norwegian club he was at, um, he hasn't had any top, top level experience. And it could definitely look like that Americans are giving Amer- an American a job, and that could just end real badly if he if this doesn't go well for yeah. everyone involved. It could go real badly. I agree, and I, I did so mention got, this. Yeah, Sorry. it's got big crater possibilities. Yeah, uh, I, I mentioned this in <laughs> Gitto's update, which was not very kind of me to do. But the last time. Uh, American ownership took over a club that was in this position was uh, when Fulham were taken over. Taken? Taken over. Taken. Um, by Shahid Khan. And it was the first time they had been relegated. And what happened? Loads of managerial upheaval. 
and trying to pander to the American market. But the problem with the American market is that it only cares if you're in the Premier League. And if if that is what happened, which uh, a lot of the Swansea fans do believe is what happened with the American ownership bringing in an American manager who uh, Landon Donovan was close to the ownership group and rumors floating around that maybe Landon Donovan will be interested in joining Bob Bradley's coaching staff in the future, there may be more ties there than some are admitting um, or would like to admit. Uh, I'm not sure. This is, uh, you know, I, I don't know either. Could go either way, but it does look very bad, and it could actually, yeah, in, and in fact, be bad. whether it's true or not, it looks bad. Yeah, because, because the whole point about bringing up the Shahid Khan thing was that was all about embracing the American market. Now you have American owners... You have an American coach who was beloved, by the way. I don't know if anybody was upset when he was let go, um, just because it kind of felt like it was time to move on. But he's still thought of very highly by Americans. And if Landon Donovan did join him, those are two of you know the five biggest U.S. names in soccer over the past few years. Sorry, I had to use the S word because I was talking about America. Um, but anyway, if that is what they're doing, it could be very damning if they end up going down, for sure, which, which both of you mentioned. So... Just saying, uh, I know both of you are saying maybe it isn't that. Uh, it's my job to bring up that maybe it is. And if it is, that, that could be very bad news, uh, especially in a football culture that I'm sure all of us have experienced. And I certainly experienced when I first got this gig as host of this show, which was pushback of American fans mm. or, and, and a lot of American involvement. I know a lot of the Swansea fans were frustrated, not just with new ownership, but that it was American ownership. Uh, we've seen some of the troubles with Manchester United with American owners and Dylan with you with FSG. Like, well, and even before that with Hicks and Gillette, yeah. I mean, FSG still are kind of up in the air. There's a, it's a, it's a very much a, a nation divided with FSG. But, but, it, but it's Hicks a natural Gillette, hesitance on English absolutely. fans' part with American well, owners. Well, the majority of the, the Arsenal fans is, hate Kroenke. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing is, is that why would you trust somebody who's not interested in the game, who doesn't know the game, who hasn't grown up with the game? And I mm. think to a certain extent, that's fair. But at the same time, it's 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 about time that there is there's someone given a chance, and at the very least, it's and not to slate any kind of uh, you know uh, any any Swansea fans are at the very least. But right now, Swansea fans are in they're they're in a bit of a rut, and it's been on a decline for about three or four years now, and it's about yeah, time Brendan Swansea. Liked. Yeah, <laughs> well, he, he we won't talk about him. <laughs> at all <laughs> for the sake of the podcast. But most importantly is that because it's been on the decline, there is something, there, there, there is this notion that, okay, it's not even that we have to change managers. We have to, have to, have to try something new. Yeah. And Bob Bradley is going to give Swansea something new, whether it's revamping the defense and organizing it differently, whether it's giving it a bit of a, a, an American touch on, on, on the way that the, not only the team is managed, but more importantly, the way that the team is coached. There needs to be something different. Does it have to come from America? Absolutely not. But at the current time, it is coming from America. And I think what, what should be taken into consideration more than anything is that this needs to be, at least for the time being, taken with as much hesitance as somebody needs to have, but do not slate this guy coming into this job because no matter who it is, they have a heap of trouble uh, for them to for them to try and tackle and work themselves through. Is Bob Bradley the man for the job? We can't be sure yet. But does Bob Bradley deserve a chance based on what he's done in in, in Norway and in France, considering the state of Swansea? I absolutely think so. Hmm. 
there were better options, but yeah, he, he, it's 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 a interesting appointment. And like I said, he fits the profile of a manager that can come in and save a club. Now we can head into player watch, where we're going to quickly discuss a player that impressed and a player that disappointed in our club's most recent fixture. If you don't have one that disappointed, you can mention a player from the opposition who impressed you. We'll start off with Dan in your quote-unquote win against Burnley. Quote-unquote win, yeah. Um, impressed was definitely Scrodan, Scrodran Mustafi. Um, Where is very, that R? I genuinely don't know. It, <laughs> uh, it's I think S-H-K-R-O? Scro? Yes, yes, I think. Oh, man. It's, it's really weird. <laughs> Apologies um, to the Mustafi clan. What was it? Actually, when he came in, he was talking, or he did an interview with Arsenal player. He's ta- or one of the questions was, what nicknames have you had? At the, end, the conclusion was, was basically, yeah, people really don't want to say my first name because it's hard to pronounce. <laughs> but that aside, uh, he was very good. He handled Sam Vokes. Again, not that impressive, but um, he handled them very well, Was had to get very involved, um, allowed us to do, or he, just, he stopped the Burnley attack um, outside of a couple. They only had a few chances, and most of them weren't really from him. He and again, I don't have a lot to pick from. We weren't very good. Mustafi was the best. He was good. He started well. Woo. Um, disappointed is probably, probably Mr. Ozil. He didn't look himself. Uh, he looked mm-hmm. very, very tired. Very, very tired. Um, and he wasn't at his best. He had a bunch of touches, but just didn't come off. Uh, it was a bad game. It happens. Again, he looked very tired. I would love to pay you. He loved just rest him for the entire international break. It's not going to happen, but hey, it'd be nice. Um, yeah. Fair enough. And Dylan? Dylan? I'm here. I was was thinking you can edit this, of course, but I was in the middle of providing a phonetic pronunciation of Chicodron in the chat, and my thumbs wouldn't find the return to call button. Um, So, no, one that has to impress in the Liverpool-Swansea match has to be Roberto Firmino. Once again, he has come into this side playing in a position, uh, as we've discussed on this podcast, isn't necessarily his natural position, and he has performed admirably, whether it's been creating chances, which he's exceptional at, uh, winning penalties, uh, <laughs> which Liverpool haven't necessarily been good at in recent times, and 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 he he does seem to be good, and it's it's an honest form of winning penalties, and no penalty to the opposition seems as if it were honest, but uh, you know it, he's he he's good at deciding which ones are are, are worth going down for and worth staying up for. So uh, fair play to Roberto Firmino there, uh, not only winning the penalty but of course creating those chances. A player to be. Not impressed with, it's hard to choose one out of this Liverpool side. The one that I'll have to say, and this may be controversial, I apologize in advance, but it has to be Jorginho Wijnaldum, Jeannie Wijnaldum. There are, there, there are so many plaudits for Jeannie right now in this Liverpool side. And while I've been impressed when he has made an appearance in these matches, uh, you know, and, and it's funny my terminology for, for saying making an appearance when he's been involved in most Premier League matches this season – the problem for me is that Wijnaldum disappears for a lot of the match and then turns up brilliantly. Now, the turning up brilliantly is is obviously a positive, and it's hard to take that away from him. But if, if Wijnaldum can find a way to increase the amount in which he's there and he's in and around the, 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 the chance creation or the goal scoring, whatever the case may be, 
then you're going to find that there are a lot more fans that see the value in what Wijnaldum, in what Wijnaldum does, which I, I do find value in what he does. It's just he's not there enough, and he needs to be able to force his way and, and the way that he plays into these Premier League matches more and more often as time goes on. There is a bit of a settling in period whenever you're, you know, when you're at a new club, especially with the way that Liverpool plays right now. But we need to see more out of him going forward. So uh, without getting into the Swansea side, that would probably be the one person that I wasn't as impressed with in this match. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, for Tottenham, I mentioned him at the top of the show. Victor Wanyama was absolutely imperious, which uh, is a word you'll see linked to his name a whole lot. I don't know why it just flows off the tongue. Um, but he, he was everywhere in this match, breaking up play laying off tiny passes to midfielders, which is exactly what I want him to be doing. Um, but but the fact that once Dembele is back in fit, if you're trying to play through the middle of the pitch, you have to go through the strength of Dembele and Wanyama, and then you have to get through the two Belgians, and then you have to get through Lloris. Like, it, it's honestly no wonder our defense is so good at this point. Um, and with Kyle Walker's uh, eventual... <laughs> it, it took a while, but... He's uh, knocked the mental mistakes out of his game for the most part. Danny Rose has obviously improved a lot over the past couple of years. Uh, it's just been very impressive. But anyway, like I said, Wanyama being the, the piece that sits in front of that back four now instead of Dyer, who had a phenomenal year last year. But uh, I mentioned this at, at the deadline day. Bringing in Wanyama and Sissoko and Jansen regression-proofed our squad because Kane has had two amazing seasons, and Dyer had an amazing first season, and, and we've had some wingers like Lamella. He broke out more last season. We have Dembele, who has injury issues. Bringing in cover for all of those places was, was amazing for us, and they're all pretty good defensively. Um, so very pleased with that. Uh, just a random stat that popped into my mind as well uh, about Tottenham is that a uh, team has not gone this long with so few goals conceded since Southampton in 2014, who was managed by... Still Mauricio Pochettino. So the two best defensive records this late in the season in Premier League history, both uh, under Pochettino. So very impressed with that as well. Hashtag pressing Poch. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Hashtag Gegen Poching. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, for a player that disappointed, very hard to find one here. Maybe Sissoko wasn't that great. It's been Ali a lot lately, but he did well. Uh Maybe Lamella taking the penalty off Sun was very strange. Um, Lamella uh, allegedly, uh, somebody did like a lip reading thing, so super unverifiable by me, um, was saying that he said he needed to score past Bravo for Argentina. I was going to say that. What he should know by now, you can't have an Argentinian take a penalty against Bravo. Yeah, and so if that was some weird burst of nationalistic pride, I, I mean, at least that would explain it, I guess. But very strange, nonetheless. Would have obviously let Son, who is in ridiculous form, take it. Or Erickson, or Ali, who already had a goal. Uh, anyway, point is, Lamella wasn't first. <laughs> so uh, him taking it off Son was surprising. Pochettino was asked in um, his press conference if he was going to address it with the team. And said, no, that was for them to, to decide. Although he did also say that he doesn't say uh, who the number one guy is. That there's a group of five. And then they have to decide it on their own. So when asked if he would discuss the repercussions, he said they also have to do that on their own, uh, which I like and is the kind of thing we wouldn't have gotten AVB who did not play at an elite level, unlike Pochettino, who obviously did. All right, that'll do it for us today. So guys, why don't you tell the folks where they can find you? Uh, yeah, I'm Dan. Thanks for having me on. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Baker underscore Dylan. That's spelled D-Y-L-A-N. Uh, that's pretty much where you're going to find me. Yeah, and I am your host, Kevin DeVries, at Kevroff on Twitter. As I mentioned, be sure to check out the Swansea update with us and the JackCast, uh, which is also their Twitter. We'll put it on our line as well. I'll also be doing a show tonight again with Dylan for World Football Index, so be sure to check that out as well. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening.